Hey, everybody, and welcome to your bonus content of Get Fresh. Is that the name? Oh, oh my God. Okay, so first of all, Julie is the worst at doing intros. I told you this was my job. I'm always like, guys, I'm going to do the intro. And then she grabs the phone. And she's like, hey, guys. And I'm like, no, no, this is my time, Julie. So, shh. okay. So two seconds before this, she goes, I'm going to do the intro and outro. I said, got it podcast starts hey everybody it's julie yeah she doesn't even give you guys the full teaser we had a jingle last time come on um so everybody hello welcome to get fresh with jules and jess and even though she already spoiled it this is bonus content we just loved you so much we figured we'd throw in a little something extra to spice up your life yeah so we have a really exciting podcast today we have a licensed professional counselor here, Amy Adams. She is actually my personal therapist. So major shout out to her for agreeing to come on the podcast. We have some really um, exciting topics to talk about today. Things that I think a lot of you probably are wondering in the back of your mind. And we're going to answer those burning questions. So, but with I mean, first, of course, we've got to give our girl Amy the floor so she can give you guys a little introduction about herself. Um, and yes, thank you, Amy, so much for joining us today. Obviously, you know, me and Jules have our perspectives, but it's always good to get a professional on board as well, because I think sometimes we think that we just know everything. So, Amy, with that being said, welcome to Get Fresh. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um just a little bit about my professional background. Um, let's see, I was born and raised in Atlanta. I went to UGA, Go Dogs, yeah. where I got my uh, bachelor's in psychology, and I went on to receive my master's in clinical mental health counseling from Mercer University. And I know it sounds a bit cliche, but I knew that I wanted to go into counseling um, from a really young age when I realized uh, the benefit that talking to somebody outside of your personal circle could have. Um, if you're struggling with mental health issues, if you just, you know, are having adjustment issues like moving into a new house or relocating to a new city, going through a breakup, whatever. Um, or if you've got something more serious going on, uh, perhaps like an eating disorder or just an unhealthy relationship with food or simply wanting to better yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I truly believe at my core that entering into therapy can be extremely beneficial. So I chose to go the path of becoming a therapist. Um, I have a private practice in Sandy Springs, and I also work as a school counselor for one of the local independent schools here. So some of that. my special interests include um, eating disorders, obviously, and not only eating disorders, but disordered eating, um, and other women's issues, particularly anxiety and mood disorders, perinatal and postpartum issues, um, and just general women's wellness. I tend to focus more on a holistic approach because I think that in order to be your best self, you have to look at your mind, your body, your soul, and your spirit, and really have all of those working in connection with one another to create the whole person and the whole piece of the puzzle. 
Mm-hmm. We were yeah. just talking about this today in our happy yeah. hour, like the pillars of like all of the different aspects of that. I love that you just connected that too. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's true. You, you've got to, you've got to, have, social and emotional well being to me is more about just your emotions. It's connected to your personal and professional life, your physical health, sleep hygiene, nutrition, and belief in your own ability to embrace who you are and begin with loving yourself from the inside out for your Mm -hmm. true and authentic self. So that's kind of how I work uh, with clients. That's my approach. And Mm -hmm. then just to touch about my personal life, um, as you know, I don't typically disclose much, but given that I am uh, from here and live around here in the Atlanta area, um, I have a family. I have three little boys and a golden retriever. We live in the metro Atlanta area. And some of the things that we like to do in our spare time, which is rare, uh, would be we like to spend a lot of time outdoors, go hiking and whatnot. Uh, We actually did a long road trip this summer with the entire crew including the dog across the country which, <laughs> oh gosh. That's a fun one. you know it was actually turned out to be one of the best things we've ever done just kind of nitty-gritty let's just say kind of let's just, just do it yeah let's just go for this it this is yeah. the year to do it too did you have a shower that's what I, I wanted I did okay. I did I I had to embrace the public shower oh no you lost me there yeah we're out and I had to embrace the RV shower which was maybe like two feet by three feet but I I must say I preferred the um the public shower because the RV shower was so itty bitty it felt like a cardboard box um but yeah and so another thing is uh personally and professionally I'm a strong believer in yoga so I am a registered yoga teacher. I'm currently only teaching privates just because I'm pretty busy in my life. But um, yoga has been a way that I was able to find myself out of some personal dark times, especially mm-hmm. as it related to um, my relationship with food and my body. And I think it's a really great way to ground yourself whatever you might be dealing with, especially if it comes to body awareness and feeling like you need to just kind of come back to who you are and get inside of that feeling of grounding yourself and feeling comfortable in your own skin. So that is something that I am passionate about. I believe in it. I teach it not only through talking it, but I actually do teach it. So um, yeah, that's, that's Amy is the whole package. She I is. did not realize that you had all of these things. At, and you know, like our thing, like we always say, well, mainly me, but Julie's getting into it too. Like we always say like, we are women, hear us roar. So like everything you're saying is just like, so on board with that. I love it. <laughs> and also to our listeners, I have to say this. Okay. So this is the first podcast that me and Julie have recorded together. Like we're physically yeah. sitting right next to each other and we're just both sitting here like bobbleheads, like yes. <laughs> nodding our heads along to everything. Amy is saying because we're like preach girl preach and I'm just I I know I'll say it like probably 10 more times but I'm just so honored that she agreed to join us on this podcast because I mean hello did you hear I mean she is just her whole way of thinking is just so So on point with what and positive and Mm -hmm. just totally on point with what we what we preach so um 
I would love to um, start off with a question for you. Um, Can you please answer? I feel like this is the the burning question. And for me, for Jess, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just so it seems like ambiguous and arbitrary. Can you please define an eating disorder for us? Okay. So an eating disorder is technically a diagnosis, which can be found in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And in that book, which is essentially like the the go-to encyclopedia for um, mental health clinicians, there are several classifications of eating disorders, and they are anorexia nervosa, uh, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. And then there is something called ednos, which is eating disorder not otherwise specified. Hmm. So, what, is that, so what does that mean? Uh, it basically means you do not fit into the listed criteria of the other eating disorders. So I can briefly break that down for you. I think that's super interesting too, because like, I'm not going to lie, like growing up, you know, like you hear eating disorder, eating disorder, eating disorder. I'm like, for me, like I always just equated it to like bulimia. I was always right. like, you have an eating disorder, like you're binging yep. and purging, Definitely. Um, which I think is big because I think either a lot of girls might not like realize they have one or, you know, because like they do associate it with just one such specific definition. So, yeah. and I know for me, I don't like to classify myself as anything, Yeah, you know, um, it's always like an uncomfortable thing to put yourself in a box and be like, yep, this is me. I am this. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, am I? Well, sometimes I am. Well, what if there's a gray area? Well, you know, there's just so much, so many things that go into it. It's like, it's, it's a scary thing to, to admit and to say out loud it, to me, it's like sexuality. It's like, anything. yeah, as you said, classification, that's huge. I feel like even when someone asks me something simple, like what's your favorite X or like, and I'm like, Oh God, I have to answer that question. Yeah. You know, just saying anything. I live in the gray. (laughs) I do. Uh So, so did you want me to talk about all of them or primarily one? I mean, do you think that there's like major key differences? Like, obviously there's going to be some similarities between the two. Like, do you think that there's a like any kind of key factors that maybe differentiate one from another? Yeah, definitely there are. So um, there, well, let me first start by saying, I believe that there are underlying similarities from the emotional standpoint across the pendulum. I mean, you could be on the pendulum of severe anorexia or severe binge eating disorder, but still kind of cross the paths of the emotional damage that you're working through. So that's interesting. That's like the overlapping um, like Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that anorexia nervosa is probably the most well-known eating disorder. That's what we think of when we think of the sickly skinny looking person, you know, the malnourished looking person. Um, this would include being considerably underweight when compared to people of other similar age and height, um, very restricted eating patterns. Uh, also a part that's pretty important to that diagnosis is the intense fear of gaining weight or persistent behaviors to avoid gaining weight, um, despite being underweight. Mm -hmm. That's big. You said despite being underweight. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So despite being underweight, there's still that intense fear of gaining weight. Um, there is that relentless pursuit of thinness and unwillingness to maintain a healthy weight. Mm -hmm. So kind of like if you picture digging your heels into the ground, like I am not going to gain weight Mm -hmm. no matter, uh, just no, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, your self-esteem is pretty heavily influenced by body weight or perceived body shape. So with that kind of comes some body dysmorphia, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the distorted body image with the denial of being seriously underweight. I do have a quick question for you. Um, is body Uh dysmorphia considered a, um, like a mental health, like where does that fall? Is that just a thing or is it an illness? Like what, it is a different diagnosis. It is not under the category of eating disorders. Okay. But it is indeed an actual diagnosis and it is called. Cause I know I, I definitely. Yeah. We were literally just, <laughs> well, this, uh, what's interesting to me is like two things, like, because I, as a person who like is a fitness instructor, um, I have a lot of people come up to me that are very overweight and like, I'm going to say right now, I'm obviously not qualified to at all diagnose this, but I have people come up and say, you know, they're like 250 and they're like, I'm wondering if I have anorexia. And obviously I'm always asking them to seek professional help. But, um, for me, like growing up in the diet culture that we grew up with, I would never associate a larger or heavier set person having anorexia. I would always associate with someone who is malnourished and skinny. But when she says, you know, it's not weight. I don't remember how awesome she phrased it, but whenever she was mentioning that it's like, you know, not contingent on that factor, it's like, that's huge because again, you're assuming someone just by looking at them. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, it, um, I mean, it's, it's a code, like it's a codable diagnosis, body dysmorphia disorder. It has a lot to do with anxiety and basically, mm -hmm. like you guys were talking, when you look in the mirror, you really see something that other people Mm -hmm. don't. Yeah see like you you really believe that and it it also has a lot to do with anxiety yeah I I'm Um, I'm gonna be really vulnerable here and just say I definitely struggle with that so um and I know that I mean I think it's a very common thing and you can you know tell me if I'm I'm wrong here off base but I think it's very common and people that have lost a lot of weight mm -hmm. or even gained a lot of weight I think even at my heaviest I didn't see myself as that heavy person but now that I've lost the weight, I only see myself as that heavy person. Do you know how often I order clothes online, specifically from Target, really? But I have returned almost everything I buy because I've accidentally bought it four sizes too big. I do the same thing. My dad literally the other day was like, why did you order a large? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I just do it out of habit. And he's like, yeah. you're crazy. But it's like, and even though I wouldn't even say like, I'm not even in an unhealthy place with body dysmorphia, but like, it's just like, sometimes you yeah. still see yourself that way. It's, it's yeah. so bizarre. I definitely have to give myself a lot of reminders and to stay present and to, you know, really try to see the person that other people see when, when they look at me. Um, but okay. That was a little tangent. I think that, but it's relatable to people, I think going through this journey. So So I do have a question because in the very beginning of the definition, you said, you mentioned like it is, it was classified as a disorder with, you know, this. So was this recent thing? Like, could you give me a little bit more like backstory or history on this? Like, I'm curious as to kind of where that link is. To body dysmorphia or just eating disorder? Oh, defining the eating disorder. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so eating disorders have been 
defined by the DSM for a while, but it actually, believe it or not, wasn't until 2013, I believe, that the latest edition, the DSM-5, um, came out and officially created a special diagnosis for binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be linked into that grouping called eating disorders not otherwise specified. Mm-hmm. So it is actually the baby of the eating disorders, despite having been around for quite some time. So mm-hmm. now that it is official, it has these um uh, certain characteristics that a a patient is quote supposed to meet in order to be uh, supported as or considered as key diagnostic features of binge eating disorder. And those would include the first one being recurrent and persistent episodes of binge eating. Number two, Binge eating episodes are associated with three or more of the following. Eating much more rapidly than normal. Eating until feeling uncomfortably full. Eating large amounts of food when not feeling physically hungry. Eating alone because of being embarrassed by how much one is eating. And feeling disgusted with oneself depressed or very guilty after overeating Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i've heard all of this so many times yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely the third diagnostic feature is marked distress regarding binge eating Mm -hmm. and number four is absence of regular compensatory behavior such as purging Mm -hmm. so you don't go purge after you've been so, whereas that that's what you do during bulimia. okay I was gonna say so that would be where bulimia would come in okay yeah um and it it's uh it's actually one of the most common eating disorders in the United States believe it or not it affects up to three and a half percent of women and two percent of men wow. and up mm-hmm. to 1.6 percent of adolescents wow wow yep. I mean that's that's definitely insane. And I, you know, I think uh, I'm only saying this because I think it's what I've heard um, and people are kind of openly talking about it, which is amazing just in, in mental health stigmas in general, um, admitting, you know, Hey, I struggle with anxiety. Hey, I struggle with depression. I mean, that's what goes into breaking a stigma, but I I think a lot of the girls have struggled um, openly with binge eating disorder. And I guess, you know, there's, again, we were just talking about gray areas. So, Mm -hmm. um, And just, you know, as a personal note for me, um, and I'm very, very open about this, but I, um, many years ago was accused by a family member of having an eating disorder, specifically binge eating disorder, if I had to, um, guess, but, um, I, I really got in my head there about it for a while and I went back and forth and I was talking to coworkers, do you think this is normal? This is what I packed for lunch. Is this a normal amount to eat? Like, is there something wrong? And then I finally went to Amy and I was like, Hey, like, this is what I'm going through right now. You know, I want to just kind of go through what I eat in a day or whatever my relationship with food. Do I, do you think I have this? Like, Mm -hmm. and it, I guess, can you just talk about like, you know, making the diagnosis and where the gray areas lie and where, you know, there's a line between just, and maybe a bad relationship with food, which I think a lot of people have, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even healthy people, healthy people have 
about relationship with food. So can, can you maybe kind of go into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think that if you're looking to get into like the clinical side of diagnosis, there are things that clinicians look for such as like, you know, binge eating or feeling out of control and eating too much at least once a week for at least three months. So there's certain like, you know, frequencies and length of time and all of that. Um, and, you know, again, the eating faster than normal, eating until you're uncomfortably full, eat when you're not physically hungry, feeling embarrassed, disgusted, like the emotional aspect of it. Whereas, you know, when you ask yourself, and, and you have to also look at the fact that the amount of, um, food that you're considering during a binge when asking yourself, am I, is this me? Like, is this happening to me? Um, can vary person to person. I think for person A, you know, a binge for her might be to get, uh, let's say she regularly orders, you know, I don't know. I, we all love Chick-fil-A. Well, a lot of us do. So <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I Everybody do. In this so chat right now yeah, loves everyone is nodding their head in their <laughs> okay. cars wherever they are. So let's say that person A's regular order from Chick Fil A, or I don't I really do not like the word normal, but for just practical sake, I'm probably going to use it in this podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, I could go on and on and on about the use of the word normal. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, a person's typical order at Chick-fil-A might be a number one, right? Because mm-hmm. um, that's the best. Yes. <laughs> and um, they can, she can go home, he or she can go home and they can eat that and they can feel fine about it, right? And then move on about their day. So then a binge for person A, no, 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 hold on. Back up. Rewind. Okay. Person A orders a number one. That's their normal meal that they get, whatever, they, they feel fine about it. I mean, it's every now and then they might feel a little bloated or a little bit like, I should just every chicken sandwich cooler that time. <laughs> like, you know, maybe, maybe I should slow down next time. It'll, but but no, nothing long lasting effects, just kind of like brush it off. Person B, their typical order might be a number one plus, I don't know, a four count nugget and let's go ahead and say that for their number one they make their fries a size large and then they throw in a little milkshake mm. well you know that might sound like a lot of food because it, for person a it is a lot of food but for person b we don't know if that person is uh, a, a bodybuilder mm-hmm. or just a larger person that requires a larger amount of food to keep them full but either way person b's order i think we said was a number one with a large fry a six count nugget and throw in a, a little milkshake. So for person A, if she goes back, you know, let's say she's going through something traumatic happens in her life and she starts ordering a number one and then maybe an extra sandwich and an extra fry and then just inhales it, like woofs it down and doesn't even think about it. She just eats mindlessly and then feels 
remorse mm-hmm. about it or embarrassment or like, oh my God, I just did that. Mm-hmm. But you know what? She goes back and she does it again the next day because whatever she got from that emotional eating, she felt some satisfaction there, but she felt no, I mean, even if she wasn't hungry the next day, she still went and got mm-hmm. it. Like you, you just go and you eat and you eat and you eat and you eat, even if you're not hungry, even if it makes you feel embarrassed or disgusted, but like for my, my whole point in giving the examples and the meals was that for some people you might think, wow, person B is binging mm-hmm. because that's, that's kind of a lot of food, but person A compared to person B's normal meal is totally different. Whereas like another person might eat, I don't, I don't know, like two tacos, but then if they develop a binge eating disorder over time, it might look like once a day they go and they eat three pints of ice cream mindlessly, even though they're not hungry, but it's to squash whatever mental or -hmm. emotional struggle that they're having. Well, I have to interject and say that I really liked that you touched on normal amounts of food for a certain person based on a million factors that could go into it. Lifestyle, bodybuilding, how much, you know, cardio they're doing, whatever. There's a million things. And and the reason I say this is because there was actually a while there where I was posting my meals more regularly on Instagram. And I remember um, posting this large salad that I got at Whole Foods. Oh, I thought it was one in the silver bowl because even I was like, damn, that's a salad. Yeah. Well, no, I'll tell you, like, I will eat a salad and there's so much lettuce in my salads. I know. Get that beautiful caloric density. Yeah. Yeah. So I I love a giant salad. It's even better if it's in a clear bowl because then I feel like a Kardashian. But but I um, went to Whole Foods one day. I posted my meal. And I posted like, I mean, I'm not going to, it was a large, large amount of food that was in this Whole Foods bowl because who doesn't have big eyes when you go to the Whole Foods hot bar or the salad bar. So, um, but there were things in the salad that were like, you know, I had like pasta salad in it and I had like other things. It wasn't just lettuce. Right. So I posted the before and then I posted an after picture and I don't know what compulsed me to do this, but, um, or led me to do this, but I was like done or finished or whatever. And there was only a small section of the salad that was eaten. Mm -hmm. And, um, because that's a normal, typical behavior for me is I'll order a large amount, take it home. I'll eat it for lunch the next day, whatever. I enjoy doing that. So I remember I had multiple people Mm -hmm. message me and say, I'm so glad you showed how much you eat. Sometimes I wonder if I eat too much or what's considered normal. And I was very, um, upset about that. And I told myself I would never do that again because I never want somebody to compare what's normal for me to to what's normal for them. Yep. And just, you know, we touched on this in our podcast with the, nutri- with the nutrition educator mm-hmm. that, you know, for Jess, she, her normal amount of protein yeah. that she like for macros, just talking about that, her normal macros, mm-hmm. she needs to eat maybe, you know, 70 to 90 grams of protein. A yeah. Day. When Julie told me how much she was recommended, like, and this is not like a judgment thing at all, right. but I was like, there is no way, like I, how much, how could you like whatever? But I I mean, someone who works in fitness, like obviously like I was just shocked by like the number because it was just like sticker shock. And, and just in case you're wondering that number was, it was recommended to me to eat between 130 
130 to 190 grams of protein a day, which by the way, is like a disgusting amount of protein. Like, yes. I'm like, um, can I eat anything else but protein? <laughs> like, I'm going to have to eat only protein. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. There's one thing we have to touch on that is very important. I just heard the, the judgment, yeah. the judgmental word of that is a disgusting amount <laughs> oh, of protein. Down. <laughs> That is one thing we have yeah. to, we have to all yeah. retrain our brains, eating disorder, unhealthy, Ooh. healthy, whatever, is we have to retrain our brains not to judge food as good or bad, disgusting or delicious. I mean, delicious is fine, but <laughs> we cannot so classify foods as, as and good bad. or one bad. Definitely, disgusting definitely. tends to be a, a, a judgmental For sure. Word. I just, so all I to... pictured was just this giant pile of like rotisserie chicken. And you don't even like chicken. No, really, I don't. So. So I, that's that. I just disclaimer. That's why I have the judgment, but I just am like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll have nine <laughs> protein shakes a day. Okay. Yeah, this is my new life. But I just, I had to say like, just, I really appreciated that point because I know that there's girls listening to this podcast going, well, I order a number one and sometimes I order an extra mac yeah. and cheese with yeah. it. Oh my gosh, maybe I'm, you know, it, it's all very subjective and we'll kind of get at the end, we'll give you some resources if you definitely, if you want more help or you want to talk to someone yeah. additionally about this subject, but I just wanted to interject and say that. Yeah. But. I mean, I think the important thing to note is that it's the frequency, like if you're wondering, do I have an actual eating disorder? You need to go get an assessment by a professional you have to be honest and open with them otherwise they're never gonna we're not mind readers we can't mm-hmm. we can't predict what you're thinking or read your mind but you know is it out of is it atypical to occasionally overeat yeah. no I mean every, I do it everybody yeah. does it but if it's consistently a pattern of eating faster than normal eating until uncomfortably full eating large amounts of food when not hungry and eating alone because of embarrassment Mm -hmm. or feeling disgusted depressed or guilty afterwards those are some of the things you need to ask yourself maybe I should pay a little more attention to this if it's consistently recurring, then maybe it goes beyond an unhealthy relationship with food into something that I need to dig a little deeper into and look at the underlying emotional yeah. um, con- connection with, with what's going on with me. Cause it, you can get help. There's lots of help yeah. out there. So when you were talking about um, like, you know, obviously recognizing if these things are happening or starting to question them, um, what kind of like research or like kind of like evidence-based, like, I don't want to use the word like cure. I mean, like we've even talked before about how like you don't always feel cured about something. Like if it's like an addiction or a challenge, like it's something you're right. consistent well, with. Well, you said before, you said I have struggled and I don't anymore. Um, you know, how do you know where? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I think kind of some of the specific evidence-based treatments that are tend to be effective are specific forms of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and then interpersonal therapy, which is talk therapy. Um, and that's what you do, so, just to clarify. Yeah, I do that. I okay. do both of those. Um, yes, I do both of those, and I have mm, – I need to – 
yeah, I don't think I can say what I was about to say. I do practice both of those treatment modalities. Um, they're, they're, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I, I can't really say this with, you know, like, let's just put that out there. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical doctor. I have no degree in medicine, but there are certain antidepressants like SSRIs or whatever that, um, could be helpful. And then, but everything as with all things should be evaluated, you know, from a risk benefit perspective, but, um, cognitive behavioral therapy would be like, uh, you know, perhaps assigning some homework, uh, or, you know, asking someone to, to do a specific action, like a a thinking chart, like a flow chart, almost of like trigger action response type thing. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy is very effective for a lot of different things. And then interpersonal therapy is, is talk therapy. So talking with someone who's not in your inner circle, who you don't have to worry about seeing every day, um, just tends to feel good about releasing all of the stuff that you carry around. Definitely does for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I, so just a a quick question, um, based on what you said. So just to clarify it, So like, for instance, we all know there's such a thing. If if you get diagnosed with anxiety, there's anxiety medication. You could get a referral to a psychiatrist for that. If you have depression, there's depression medication. You can get a referral to a psychiatrist for that. Is there any point that somebody with an eating disorder, um, like, is there any treatment for it? Is there some, like a referral to a psychiatrist or medication? Like, do you, are you able to touch on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would start by, you know, if you think you may have an eating disorder, I would, you know, start by reaching out to a um, first to a therapist, to a mental health counselor. If Now, if you are at any time thinking of harming yourself or others or feel like you are in a medical emergency, then the first thing to do is call 911 or go to one of the nearest uh, treatment facilities. And if you're in Atlanta, then those would probably be Ridgeview Institute or Peachford Hospital. So yes, back that up. If you are ever considering harming yourself or others because of your mental condition, and we, you know, people with eating disorders get to that place, um, then first thing, call 911, go to the nearest emergency room, get yourself help there is always help. But if you are not at that point, then you can, um, you can go online and look up a couple of really good resources uh, about eating disorders, uh, such as NIDA, it's the National Eating Disorders Association. So that website is www.nationaleatingdisorders.org. You can also find some good information on womenshealth.gov. And then there is NAMI in Georgia, which is the National Alliance on Mental Health. I mean, the the resources online are endless. Um, Or you could, you know, like I said, just find a good therapist Mm -hmm. that you feel comfortable with. 
And then he or she could assess you for, hey, you know, maybe I think it would probably be beneficial for you to see a psychiatrist to help manage your, um, you know, your co-occurring conditions along with your eating disorder. Because a lot of times there's right occurrence mm-hmm. with anxiety, um, OCD, whatever, mm-hmm. depression, you know, whatever you have, there's typically something that's co-occurring. Um, that's why I said in the beginning that the pendulum is like swinging back and forth, even though the habits of the, the food and the relationship with food and the body image and all of that can be completely different. The underlying stuff tends to be, yeah. um, not the same but there's typically a level of mm-hmm. trauma or depression mm-hmm. or whatever I think that the it. main the main thing is like that we're all saying is the help is there like the help is available all you have to do is seek it out all you have to do is ask about it um or ask for it and I think that what's what me and Julie today we're talking about is like normalizing therapy and mm-hmm. how beneficial it is like it's really funny I'm gonna be very vulnerable and just straight up today me and Julie were driving in the car and we were talking about Amy and we were saying you know how we were gonna speak with her tonight and she looks at me and she's like have you ever seen a therapist and like honestly if you're in the like uh, a room of people and like someone asks you oh have you seen a therapist it's like you your almost immediate reaction or like an old way of thinking I think is like oh, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. I see a therapist like that. I need to get help. And it's like, dude, first of all, we all need help. Everybody <laughs> in this entire world needs help. Yeah. Second of all, like it should be normalized. Like you're saying, it's a con- it's not like, you know, you're one person out of 10 million who has a problem that a, the therapist or, you know, a psychologist needs to fix. It's like, it just freaking helps to talk to somebody who's not biased, who's not close to your situation. Because like, I hate to say it moms and dads, but like your parents have like their own things to gain. I think almost when they give you advice, you know what I mean? And it's like, you have to have someone who's just completely neutral. Yeah. I love that. And I'm not going to lie. And Amy, she'll laugh. I mean, sometimes I just straight up use my entire time with her and just like talk about like the most random. I'm like, what did I even just say to her? Like, she is probably like, I don't. Why are yeah. we talking about these people? Like, this doesn't matter. But like, sometimes <laughs> that's just what you need. And it's just a to... safe space, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And the other thing to really mention um, with therapy, I think, is with the normalizing of it, is that it, you don't have to have something, quote, wrong with you or be broken to go to therapy. I mean people kind of think like remember when they used when therapists used to be referred to as shrinks like a way long time ago they used to refer to us as shrinks yes I do I am so sorry but wait (laughs) (laughs) my dog just puked everywhere and it smells so bad (laughs) she was really going for like some serious like acting right now we're talking about (laughs) she was she was was just laying here and all she's method acting for us jesus it smells so bad and the best part is this entire phone call like as we're sitting here focusing julie has been rubbing this dog's belly she's asking for it (laughs) 
<laughs> all of a sudden, I was like, oh, no, she is not Dude. doing what I think she's oh, about God. to do. I'm glad I didn't eat any of that Thai oh, food yet. I'm so sorry. How professional of but, us. But oh, regardless, no, regardless no, no. I mean, this was like, this was our last little closing piece anyways. And like you end with saying the strength thing. You're so right. Like, that's a great thing. We are at least <laughs> heading towards a progressive, a more progressive time, which is fantastic. But like, we just want to say straight up, like, hey, hi, I've been to therapy. I'm proud of it. I would talk about it all the time. Julie yep. invited her freaking therapist to talk to you guys. I, I you told know? her, I was like, what's the line of what we can talk? Because I'm an open book. I basically talk about everything we talk about in our sessions on my Instagram stories. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's for me, it's like the most normal thing ever. Now, when I was in high school and seeing a therapist, was I going around telling everybody? Oh, absolutely not. No, I was so embarrassed but like as I've grown confidence in myself as you know a woman and finding myself I just I mean literally every single one of my friends is so open we talk about our therapists all the time oh yeah we all we all have them so there's no shame in it so if we can just make you feel a little bit more normal right our favorite word normal and here's the Um, thing too is like you know I think that when you do talk about it like it makes other like I feel like I don't even talk about it just because I'm comfortable but like I want other people to know it's okay to like to look for something or seek for it. You know, it's not weird. It's not taboo. Like other people are doing it. Even if it's, you know, you see like in magazines, like, oh, this person's seeing a a shrink. God, I don't even know if anyone uses that word anymore, but yeah. I don't think so. I hope not. Um, But we just want people to know, like it's, it's a safe space regardless. Like if you, if you need some help, ask for help, you know, you're going to find it and it's going to be there. Yeah. And you guys, this will not be the last you see and hear of Amy. I'm sure she's just so embarrassed. She's like, what did I sign up for? Who are these people? (laughs) Dogs are puking on the podcast. We told her this was going to be casual, but I don't think she realized it would be this casual. You know, I mean, here, this is real life. So, um, Amy, thank you so much for coming. Um, you guys, like I said, Thank you for having me. We will, you guys will be seeing a lot more of Amy um, in the months to come. So stay tuned. Thank you so, so much. And everybody have a great, great evening. Bye, you guys. Bye.